Hello, I'm here today with a, a lovely chap called Graham, Graham Fink. Um, Graham is one of the world's most awarded creative directors, among many, many other things. And I'm really pleased to be here with him today. So hello, Graham. And how do you feel today? Hi, Gareth. Good to um, see you. And um, yeah, I'm feeling actually very good today. It's, uh, it's the beginning of the new year. Um, I always find that a very philosophical time. And um, yeah, the weather is quite nice. So I came up to London this morning on the train. I live by the sea in Deal normally. And uh, yeah, I'm feeling very good. And tell me about the sea. I didn't realize you live next to the sea. Yeah, so um, I've got this place. It's a, f a friend of mine. She lives by the sea in a place called Deal, which is about eight miles from Dover. And it's right on the seafront. Um, and you open the door, literally, you could, you, you, you could be in the sea in 10 seconds. And um, when I was doing all of my Wim Hof breathing and my Wim Hof cold showers, I, I would go into this. Actually, I went into, this, into the sea last Christmas day. It was uh, very cold. I didn't do it this year. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's great. And so I have a very nice life balance because it's kind of, I, I spend like three or four days there each week, the weekends and maybe Thursday, Friday. And then I come up to London Sunday night and I, and I work um, for an agency um, in London sort of three, three days a week. And I've been doing that for over a year now, which is good. And the, the four days, how do you tend to to use those so when i'm not doing this um and just to give you a little bit of background the, the work i do at this agency is called aka um and we do the advertising for all the theaters and the shows in in london so i've been working with um abba on the um on the amazing concert if you haven't seen that you should really go and see it it's uh it's just absolutely phenomenal. You really do believe you are watching ABBA on stage and they really are there. Of course, they're not. It's all kind of digital projections, but you really don't think that at all. Your eyes tell you that they are really there in front of you and they're back in their 30s. And um, <laughs> it's just an incredible uh, concept. So I work, I've been working with them on that, um, working on Harry Potter, um, Cabaret, um, a whole bunch of different shows. And um, so that's really, really, <clears throat> really, really interesting because when I used to work in agency, ad agencies in the past, it would be working on, um, you know, British Airways, Coca-Cola, um, you know, lots of kind of big brands. So this, this is very different. But what I like about it is we do a lot of posters. And I like those posters that you see in, in the underground um, because for me, you know, it's like one of the most, it's one of the oldest mediums. You always kind of think of the caves in Lascaux 25,000 years ago, where you have to sort of depict very simply, um, and, and, and images and, and tell stories. So I've always loved the poster as a, as a medium. Yeah. I mean, I like writing TV scripts and, and obviously these days, lots of social media, but I've always, I always come back to the to the poster, basically, uh, <clears throat> a very simple image <clears throat> tends to have like five, six, seven words, no more. And um, yeah, so so I do that. And then the, the rest of the time, I sort of do um, some freelance projects for a lot of clients, 
often direct to them. And um, as you know, I do a lot of a lot of art. I'm a multimedia artist, so I do a lot of um, paintings and drawings and bits of filmmaking and um, eye drawings. You, I, I think you know about my, the eye drawing stuff that I do. So yeah, I mean, I've always, funnily enough, always tried to do lots and lots of different types of things. You know, when I was at art school, I, I did a foundation course when I was 18 or something. And um, the idea of a foundation course is you try lots of different types of things. So you try photography, you try, you know, filmmaking, you try animation, you try silk screen and, and fashion and drawing and fine art and sculpture and pottery and all these kind of things. And over that year, you sort of get a taste of everything and then you decide what you want to specialize in to go to, you know, the next stage, which is like a, a, a three-year, uh, you know, BA course. <clears throat> um, and at the end of that year, every other student sort of put up all their pots because they want to be a potter or they put up all their sculptures. They want to be a sculptor. They put up all their fine art because they want to be a fine artist or they put up all their photographs because they want to be a photographer and so on. And I put up a little bit of everything. And my tutors said, here is a guy who doesn't know um, what he wants to do. And I said, no, I know exactly what I want to do. I want to do all of them. Um, so there was a kind of a pause. <laughs> and then they said, well, you can't do everything. You've, you've got to sort of pick something, you know. So I had a real problem with that because that has always been my whole sort of philosophy mantra, if you like, to 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 try and and, and and do everything. And you know, there's that expression, Jack of all trades, master of none. I mean, I think that is total and utter bollocks. And um I think that we were made, created, um, to be limitless, not limited. And um <clears throat> you know, I think we can get good at lot lots of different things. So yeah, I, I I did pick something. I I had to pick. I had to choose something. I chose graphic design. Um, kind of putting a needle <laughs> into a or pulling pulling something out of a hat. I don't know how I decided. Anyway, I picked something. I chose graphic design, and I was very lucky because the tutor on my course running it was a guy called John Gillard, and John had a background in advertising. And he talked in, you know, in, in the first week on the graphic design course about advertising. He talked about working with directors and photographers and, and designers and typographers and, and ideas. And I thought, actually, this sounds, this sounds great. This sounds like all of those things together, you know. So that's how I got into advertising because I thought, yeah, this is doing everything. And, and I was very lucky I got into a... I got into a great agency very early on, and I and I worked with photographers and directors and animators and designers and all kinds of stuff. So I was in this world where, you know, I could experiment in all these different different things, and you know, working in in, in TV, writing commercials, doing posters, doing radio. Um, obviously, social media hadn't been invented then, but um, it was so exciting, um, you know. <laughs> yes, sounds it. And I, I'm a, I'm glad you said what you said about jack of all trades, about having lots of different experiences, 
of different things and being able to apply yourself in different fields. And the thing that interests me in everything you've just said there is contrasting that with learning to play classical guitar, which is, you know, this idea of technique and learning something over and over. Yeah, I mean, so the guitar, I, I, I mean, what happened when I was about 10, my dad bought me a classical guitar, Spanish guitar, and I went to have some lessons. And I started sort of, you know, I learned to read music and all that kind of stuff. And I really liked it. And I kept it going for a bit until I actually got into advertising. And then I was so busy, I kind of gave it all up. And I can't really remember. I mean, as you know, as a kid, I didn't really practice that much, you know, fits and starts. I mean, I, I can't really remember. But I do remember there was one piece that um, I really loved. I don't know if I could play it, but um, I, I would have a record of um, there's a guy called Julian Bream, who was sort of like one of the UK's greatest ever classical guitarists. He, he died a couple of years ago. Um, and he played this um, prelude by this Brazilian um, composer called Villa Lobos. And Villa Lobos was a, uh, I mean, he, he's an, he was kind of like Brazil's answer to Bach. He wrote like over 2,000 pieces for like orchestra and, and uh, concertos and quintets, quartets, and and for the piano and the guitar and everything. I mean, just a phenomenally um, talented person. But he wrote some of the, the greatest ever pieces for the for the guitar, and, and he could play the guitar. And anyway, there's this prelude number one, which is one of my favorite pieces. And it was years and years later after I gave up and I was working in um, in Seattle. This was in 2019. And um, I went into a guitar store one lunchtime and I picked up a, a, class, a, a guitar. It's probably the first time I picked one up for, for about 20 years. And I started to try and play a few things on it and I couldn't remember anything and within just a few minutes my fingers were hurting and um and I sort of put the guitar back up onto the rack and the shop was really really busy and I and I left and and I was sort of walking down the hill um I literally got about 100 meters from the store and I was sort of reminiscing that maybe one day I would go back to relearning the guitar and and all that kind of stuff and and with this i mean let's talk about signs um i heard this voice shouting at me buddy 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 and this guy huge guy i turn around he's running down the hill if you've ever been to seattle you know most people have beards and most people have tattoos and he had a beard and he had lots of tattoos and he's running down this hill and I'm thinking, God, he thinks I've stolen a guitar. And I, and I put my hands up and said, hey, you know, not me. And uh, he said, no. He said, listen, I'm really sorry, buddy. Um, you know, no one was, we were really busy and no one was helping you. And I just wondered if I can help. And I thought, now, that's amazing. Like, where do you get that? Right? Where do you get that? Nowhere. So I kind of told him the, the story. And I said, I've got a guitar in the attic somewhere. And he said, well, look. He said, we've got a great teacher here um, and he can teach blues. He can teach rock. He can teach pop. He can do classical. And um, why don't you have some lessons? And I said, well, that sounds great, but I, I don't have a guitar. It's in an attic somewhere. And 
he said, look, we'll rent you a guitar for 10 bucks a month. So I said, okay. So I, I started, you know, I started sort of relearning and he said, everything will come flooding back. Well, everything didn't come flooding back. And it's actually quite frustrating. And I had to sort of, I could still read, read music. It's a bit like learning to ride a bike. You know, you never forget it. But um, I was very rusty and my hands were hurting and fingers. And, but I decided to, I've got to keep going. And, um, and that's really how I got, got back into it. And I thought, I've just got to, just got to, got to keep it going. And it's so different, as you say, it's so different to all the other stuff I do. I'm normally quite impatient. Um, but when I'm playing the guitar, you know, you, you, you're correct. I, I sort of do practice an hour every day. And you do have to play difficult passages over and 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 over again until you get them perfect and you get them perfect. And the next day you pick up that guitar and it's kind of like you've never played it before. And I'm going, what? I can't remember really. But there's something about it which um, I really love. I love the sound. And you know what? When you do hit a couple of notes really perfectly, the sound is beautiful. And there's something that that transcends everything. It transcends um, sort of being a bit spiritual now. It just, 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 just transcends the body. It transcends the instrument. It just transcends everything and, and um, it's, it's pure. Do you think it's bringing you precisely into the moment? Do you think it's that? Do you know when you hit that thing and it almost takes over for that second? I think so. I think it's, you know, I mean, they always say that Sherlock Holmes, when he couldn't crack a case, would go off and play his violin. Right? And there is something that happens. It does take your mind off of all the everyday stress, all the problems I've got at work, all the arguments with people I'm having over that they're not buying this great idea I've done. Um, <laughs> all of that goes and you are totally at one, when you get it right, when you, with the best moment, you are totally at one with that instrument and those notes and you become, I mean, it sounds crazy, but it, you sort of become the guitar, you become the note. Mm. and You can't, it's not you or your fingers, or, I don't know, it's just, you are in a different um, place. <laughs> And there's something very, very powerful about that. And when you listen to great musicians, and there's a lot, and that obviously that's very easy today because you've got things like YouTube. Um, but you watch great um, pianists, for instance, like Horowitz, Horowitz, um, just playing these incredible pieces, and it's just beautiful. I've heard. Um surfers and other sports people talk about a similar feeling yeah exactly that being in the zone you you're you're there and um you can experience it with anything i mean i know you go swimming and you must get those moments where you know you don't feel hot or cold you don't feel you you just you know you're just somewhere else but you're absolutely in that moment you are present it's not like you're lost you just feel part of a bigger whole i think that's yeah. that's the way it is there is that connection. Yeah, definitely. Um, and if it was all the time, it wouldn't stand out, would it? So it has to be um, intermittent. Well, I don't know. I think, I mean, we're lucky if we get glimpses of it. And, and if you work at it, 
those glimpses last a little bit longer. Um, that's all I know. Can I ask you then, Graham? You know, you know, I, back to the thing about loving loads of different things, mm. and they were all artistic sort of um, endeavors. Are you also a sort of logical chap? Did you like maths as well and science? I was really dreadful at maths. Um, funnily enough, I am working with the London Institute of Mathematical Science at the moment on a on a project. And there is something about that world which fascinates me. I, I really love astronomy because there's something about looking up. I built a telescope when I was 14 to look, study the stars. And there's something about looking at something that is, you know, 2 million light years away. So the light traveling at 186,000 miles a second takes, you know, take that light 2 million years to get here. So when you're looking at it, it may not be there. Um, so you're sort of looking back in time. And all that kind of stuff fascinated me and made me question who I am and what am I doing here and all, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, astronomy, maths, physics, all that stuff, even quantum physics, I don't understand it at all, but I love sort of dabbling in it. And when I talk to these guys at the, at the uh, Mathematical Science Institution, there's something about them and that we get we hit it off incredibly well i mean i i think about it they I, when i walk in there and i've been there a lot of times um and they're all working on i mean they're they're super 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 clever i mean you know they're they're you know they're all like professors of string theory and quantum physics and heliocentric and other things i can't pronounce um and they understand it so well right but you never see computers in there. I'm sure they work on computers. I'm sure they do. But I've never seen them. Everywhere you go in that place, you see blackboards, massive blackboards. And the blackboards are covered in equations. And there's something really beautiful about them picking up a, a, a stick of chalk. And you've got to remind me to tell you more about this chalk because it's not just any chalk. Um, it's a particular type of chalk. Anyway, they write equations and they write all their workings out on these blackboards, right? And I work on with sketchbooks. You know, sure, I have a computer, but I spend most of the time scribbling in, scribbling ideas in notes. And so I, I think there's this amazing sort of crossover that we got on incredibly well. We talk about all this kind of stuff, and there, and and I feel very sort of close to them. And, and it's very bizarre. Um, you know, the, the, if I photographed all those blackboards, they're almost like works of art. You could hang them in galleries. I mean, they're different colored chalks and they rub stuff out and you leave the, the sort of rubbing out mark and they write over the top of it and, and that isn't right. And then they rub out something. And there's really something beautiful about it, about this sort of exploration. And it's a bit like me and my sketchbook. It's doodles and scribbles and you're crossing stuff out and, Nothing's finished. Nothing's perfect. <clears throat> but I tell you about this chalk. So the first time I went to to to, to see them, um, we started talking about these blackboards, and they and the, and the guy who runs it. And here's a weird, weird thing. Even though we have nothing in common, the guy who runs the London Institute of Mathematical Science, his first name is Thomas, his second name is Fink. And I'm going, oh my god! I mean, we are 
I don't, we are not related by, or maybe we're related, you know, through distant, distant cousin. I don't know. But he's, um, you know, he runs this thing, and we started talking about this chalk, and they use a particular type of chalk. It's made in Japan, or I think now it's made in Korea. It's called, um, I think I pronounced it correctly, it's Hagoromo, H-A-G-O-R-O-M-O. And if you look it up on YouTube, there's a brilliant sort of short film about it. It's about 10 minutes long about how after the war, the physicists from America went to visit Japan and they picked up this chalk and started writing on these blackboard and they all went, oh my God, this chalk, there's something about it because it doesn't scratch. It's just, it's just beautiful, soft chalk. And they kind of joke that you cannot write a bad equation with this piece of chalk. And so we ended up talking about this, about chalk for about an hour. And, uh, and I think how amazing all this is. You know, most of my friends think, you're fucking nuts. What are you doing talking about fucking chalk? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Sounds great. The, the equations changing on the board intrigues me. And I don't know if there's secret equations or not, but has anyone ever done a time lapse of them? So you almost saw it evolve from the beginning to the end. Yeah, I mean, they have. There has been that. Uh, um, it, it, funny enough, I, I'm sort of thinking about doing that um, for, to, to to see what they to what they come up with. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it just. I mean, what I like, it's just an explosion of sort of thoughts and ideas, and it doesn't have to be right. You know, you put something down and someone, and another one takes over, they rub a bit out, and then they write another equation. And they were talking to me about the, the, the perfect equation. Um, this physicist, Richard Feynman, says that this is the most perfect equation. Is uh, And I think it's, I'm not going to get this right, I think it's E plus... Pi, because it was designed by this guy, Euler, I think, E-U-L-E-R. And so it's E, and I think it's, it's, then it has a pi sign next to it, and then it's got an I sign next to it. And this I is an italic I, and we'll come back to that in a minute. because And all that together, um, plus one equals zero, or it's plus zero equals one. Um, anyway, it's something like that. I'm explaining. I mean, you, if you just Google the perfect equation, you, you'll you'll see it and you can read about it. Anyway, um, my friend Thomas explained this whole thing to me over a few beers one night, and that's the other thing. Mathematicians they like a drink, so um, <laughs> he, he explained this whole thing. And when he's talking about pi, I mean, I know what pi is: three point one four, whatever, three point one. Or one five nine, or what you know, the recurring number. We all learnt that at school. But it's the next um, thing in the symbol in the equation, which is this I, and this I stands for. And I love this. It stands for a number that you just accept with blind faith. And I love that. I think because that is creativity. You know, we are all creative. We are all created. Some of us, yes, are more creative than others because we spend our life being creative and it's like a muscle. You know, the more you work at it, the better you get. Um, but every single one of us is is creative. You know, we're a living showcase to creativity. You know, if you just think the way the body is working and 
your heart pumping a hundred thousand times a day and all this blood going around you and the, the way you can open your your finger to, your fingers and stretch your fingers and jump up and down and what is going on to to create that the, the trillions of, of things going on in your in your brain triggering triggering s- s- signals up and down your arms and sending messages backwards and forwards and we can do i mean just some just the, the act of standing up from sitting down it's a you know a, a billion things going on there um so that is all that is all creativity and i love this idea of having a a, a symbol that you just accept with blind faith because sometimes you just have to accept things with blind faith it's like knowing if something is right now how do you know if you've come up with a good idea or a bad idea you intuitively know i think uh you know when you've got something right you know when you haven't quite got something right and how do you know that you know but we do we definitely know and when it happens you go yes that's it i've got it i love that graham because i feel like somebody who's learned to not trust that <laughs> and need to lean into it more it's like when you're young, you really know, don't you? Well, it's amazing. Yeah, when you're really young, you're not scared of anything. If you go skiing, you just put the skis on, you just jump down down the ski slope, don't you? When you get older, yeah. you think, oh, what if I fall? Maybe oh, maybe I'm a bit rusty. Maybe I shouldn't do this one. Throw this caution to the wind. Yeah. You know, there's a, there was a great story that um, – I heard, and maybe it was Thomas at the school who told me this, but Einstein is in his Einstein is teaching his phys, physics to his class, right? And he and he gives them all a an exam paper, right? And at the end of the session, let's say it's an hour, he um, he asks, you know, they all hand in their papers, and one of the kids said to him, so these are the same questions you gave us last year. And he said, yes, but this year, all the answers are different. <laughs> that's brilliant. You know, yeah. that's absolutely brilliant. We're constantly discovering new, new things. Yeah. I don't know how many moons Saturn has. I used to know, cause I used to be absolute, but let's say it was nine. I mean, now it's 12 or something. Do you know what I mean? Because we discover more. So it's, we've got to constantly be, updating our hos system our human operating system it's a bit like you upgrade to your, your mac you know we've got to keep upgrading ourselves all the time because if we don't do that we're just you know we're just that's when you do become a dinosaur there's all this stuff out there you just got to constantly learn it so you cannot be limited you've got to be limitless you've got to be trying all this new stuff and just be curious it doesn't matter if you get the answers wrong just going to try it and lap it up and read as much as you can. And I'm fascinated by AI. Everyone thinks it's going to take over and it's going to kill us. And well, it probably will. Um, I think we probably have created the very thing that will um, destroy us. But we're all right for a bit. And you know, I think you should just find out as much as you can about AI. And I'm, I mean, I'm an agent to different robots. I work with these with that robot Sophia. And I've taken on some more robots now. And, you know, it's just great going to meet these robots and talking to them. I mean, they're fascinating. You have the most fantastic conversations with them. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole, yeah. If we if we put the guitar aside, honestly, because your enthusiasm is uh, palpable and 
how many things you're interested in. Do you do anything else that sort of gives you a chance to just take five and not be thinking about lots and lots of things? Mm, well, you know, I, I mean, I do meditate or try to meditate. Um, and it's something I've sort of been struggling with for years because I, I, I'm very impatient. But I can get into, you know, I say I'm really going to go for it and I try and do it, just be in the moment and do it for today. You, I can't say I'm going to do it every day this year or every day this week. Yeah. Because then it, be, it becomes a chore, but you can do it for today, right? So you can get up and say, I'm going to do it. And I have had, you know, some very good runs where I have managed to do it every day for um, a year and I, and I have noticed so the results, and actually, if I haven't done it for months, I decided, hey, I'm going to, it's a really beautiful morning. I've got up super early, and I'm just going to have 10 minutes meditation. The minute I go into it, I just feel, wow, you know, I've really missed this. Mm. And my mind is still very active. But over the course of the 10 minutes, and, and, and if it's going well, I may extend it and go for for up to like half an hour. And the thing, a lot of people make a mistake with meditation. They think it's to, to get rid of all your thoughts. You cannot have any thoughts and you should stop all your thoughts. That's, that's not correct. You're going to have thoughts. You can't stop the thoughts. But the trick to do is if a thought comes in, you just let it go. Um, so it comes in. You don't hang on to it and start having a conversation with it. You just let it go. And if another one comes in, okay, you acknowledge that as another thought and then you let that one go um and that's fine uh, because often you know we're very good at beating ourselves up all the time oh that wasn't the perfect meditation i had too many thoughts etc or that was rubbish or that was no good or i'm not a very good meditator you know we constantly i call it it's a bit like friendly fire isn't it when you're shot by your own side i mean if we beat ourselves up all the time and we're very very good at doing that in the west um we say we're no good at anything. Oh, I can't say that out loud because it's a stupid idea and someone will think I'm stupid. Well, you know, what other, I always say this, what other people think of you is none of your fucking business. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And you're not going to be able to change them anyway. You can only change yourself. So, I don't know. Well, we're talking about lots of very profound things here that could would make... <laughs> talk for days on this we, we'll have to do it over a beer one day oh. and uh in the summer perhaps but um no i know exactly what you mean it's just sometimes difficult to embody and remember these things that's all yeah i mean i think that's why it's just good to to try and meditate even if you just do five minutes it's just that self-remembering isn't it yeah because we just feel Otherwise, we just feel so detached all the time or you get too caught up in everything. And it's, I mean, you know, David Lynch is, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a very big David Lynch fan. I love his films. And, you know, he kind of late in life, he got into meditation and he talks a lot about, again, you can see all that on YouTube, but there's a, there's a book he wrote it's called Catching the Big Fish. And I have this book and it's really easy to read. It's got really big type. It's, you know, it's not um, it's not difficult to read. You can read it in a in an hour or something. And he talks about this on YouTube. But what I like is 
Um, he says, you know, it's it's a bit like um, why he talks about catching the big fish is the big fish are down in the deep, right? So on the surface, you've if you start to meditate, you've got to start on the surface and you've got to descend. And as you descend, it's this slow moving thing, right? You're in a diving bell. Now, as you go through the surface, there's all the little fish and there's lots and lots of activity and these tiny fish swimming around, all the water is very sort of turbulent. And that's a little bit like what I would say was for, for, for all of us, if you go into a new environment, you sort of think, oh, you know, people are looking at me or, or what are they thinking? Or I don't know anyone or what am I going to say? Or what's it meant to mean? And, and this is all little fish, right? And you go through that and you go deeper and deeper and deeper and there's bigger fish and there's bigger fish. Now, if you can keep going, you get down to where David Lynch talks really, really, really deep. And in the deep parts of the ocean, the water hardly moves. It's, it's very slow moving and there's a lot less fish. But when you do see them, they are huge, absolutely huge. And he says, and there's big fish for directing, big fish for f screenwriting, big fish for art, big fish for, for anything. That's where you find the big fish. And that's why he manages to do, he, he does two 20-minute sessions a day. And he said, even when he's directing movies, he will religiously put 20 minutes aside, I guess during a tea break or something, where he can just have his 20 minutes of meditation. And he calls catching the big fish. And I love that because, you know, that, that sort of on the surface, superficial stuff, it's been like being in a new day at school or a new day at the office. I mean, my new job here, uh, when I came here um, over a year ago, the first, I didn't know anyone. I, know, I knew two people. I come in and everyone's looking at me. Where are you going to sit? And, and, you know, where's your desk? And, and all these people, what do they do? And, and yeah. will they like me? And will I understand what they're doing? And all that stuff, it's all, it's all bollocks. Really. It's, it's a small fish, you know. And it's only when you really, really get into it and you can concentrate on stuff um, that you, the, the really, really interesting and the big ideas start to come. And you've got to trust that they will come because they, yeah. they always will. You've just got to trust it. Can I, um, can I just mention a quickie about... Uh, catching the big fish and David Lynch. Mm. It's an odd story, and I've drafted a letter to David Lynch. And like I say, this isn't about me, so I won't go into all of that. Ah, that sounds great. But our friend David mentioned this book in the summer when we were in the sea together, ah. and he said, "You've got to read it, and then you've got to write to David Lynch." Bizarrely, the same day, another friend had the all clear on cancer, and. Uh, came around the house for a celebration. And that evening we have a celebration because we drink and he has to leave the car. And he comes to pick the car up the next day. And normally I would drive, we go for a dip. He, he's also another chap that likes going in the sea. And he said, I'll drive. I said, oh, okay then. So I get in the car, open the door, and in the, in the pocket in the door is the book, Catching Big Fish. <laughs> and I said, you're not going to believe this. My friend David told me to read this only yesterday. And he said, oh, it's been there for 10 years. I've never opened it. You can have it. So I've read it now. And it's a brilliant book. It's absolutely superb. And you mentioning it today now, I think, is making me think, okay, 
I better send that letter now that I've drafted. <laughs> I love it. What a great story. But this stuff is everywhere, you know, these sort of strange coincidences. And actually, the more you look for them, the more you'll find. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird thing. Yeah. Because they are everywhere. I don't know. They're, a lot of this stuff is it's meant to be, isn't it? I do feel like that. Act on it. Act on it. But they they often seem obvious looking back, don't they? And connected and joined up. And in the time as you're going through them, they seem separate and disparate sometimes. Yeah. But uh, it's been gr- it's been absolutely brilliant to chat. I've loved it, Graham. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for in- for inviting me. And um, it's been perfect, perfect timing. I was just going to say, there's one thing I ask at the end. Is is there anything you'd like to pass on, a little snippet that's helpful to other people? But it could just be as simple as catching the big fish. But have a thing. Is there anything yeah, no, else you'd like so. to say? And I think I probably said a lot of stuff um, in that thing. But, yeah, I mean, that would be a good one to to look at if you're, if you're interested um, in meditation or, you're, or you, you haven't or you want to know a little bit more about it. I mean, David Lynch is, is, is brilliant because, you know, he's a fantastic director. He's very quirky, quite surreal, and his movies are very odd and they're very thought-provoking. And sometimes it's good to have someone like him talking about meditation because he has a completely different way of talking about it than, than a lot of other people. So um, look, look him up, catch, catch a bit, and then... Go off and catch your big fish. And then go fishing. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Thank you, Graham. That's been brilliant. Cheers. Excellent. Thanks, bye.